guys, it's me, Millie. And me, Mastana. Welcome to Made Known Podcast, episode four, yes. where we bring you the latest news, entertainment, and topical issues that we feel should be made known. Welcome, guys. How was your week this week? It was all right. It was pretty good. Um, so today, Kubi Springer came in to the Media Trust. Um, and Kubi Trust, if you don't know, is an award-winning international brand consultant. She has 24 years of experience and she recently wrote a book called I Am My Brand. So she basically shared her experience along the way, um, 20, 24 years that she has so far. Um, she gave us some great advice into like just knowing who we are, um, knowing our worth. Um, and knowing our brand and how that's very important and how you sell yourself to people when you're trying to get into the industry you want to get into mm. so yeah it was very empowering like what she was teaching us today you really you really need to think about who you are and things that stand out in your life mm. but also like you need confidence as well to be like this is who I am this is my brand because mm. she was saying like your brand is you definitely what I liked that she said was that everything you do you're learning from and everything you do is shaping you owning it is the key because if you don't then it's kind of like can't say it's your brand if you can't own it because mm. then it's just like because also a brand is something that you want to sell so if right. you're trying to sell yourself and you can't yeah or like you you can't even explain to someone why they should invest then why would they exactly yeah mm. i think it's like Today's taught us to just prepare for those conversations. Like always be prepared to ask, ask, answer that question of like, who are you? What is your brand? Yeah. Why should I take a business card? And it's like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's important to note, like now that we're trying to get into the industries that we want to, so. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, so thanks Kubi. Yeah. We appreciate it. What did you it. get up to? Well, week, this week. weekend, I really enjoyed uh, going to the cinema. I mm -hmm. saw um, a film called Official Secrets, okay. which has Kira Knightley in it. Um, and basically, it's a film about um, the British and American combined decision to invade Iraq back okay. in 2003. And basically, Kira Knightley plays this woman called Catherine Gunn. And um, she worked for like British secret intelligence and they got this like secret memo that basically said that America wanted Britain to collude with them um, to basically go to war in Iraq illegally. And she was like, this is legal. I'm not going to stand for it. We can't justify war mm. and like killing thousands of people. So she became a whistleblower. Yeah. Um, and then it was just really interesting um, because it basically follows them like the fallout from her deciding to go public with it and people finding out and like the media getting a hold of it and it's illegal so she goes to court over it and yeah it was just like a really good film really tense um is it and based I, on a true story yeah yeah it's okay. a completely true story and they showed the real woman at the end like in a oh, um, I like that. little bit of footage yeah. which i always love anytime that like a film or a tv show has based on a true story yeah at the beginning i'm literally like thing. yes <laughs> i feel well, like, I was like that as well she gets so excited she's like I feel like it's really the way that um, t TV and film media is now turning at the moment. Mm -hmm. I think there was a time when it was all about like drama. kind of fiction, action, yeah. drama, all of that stuff. And now people want like true stories. Yeah. They want a sense of history, a mm. sense of reality, mm -hmm. um, which I think is really interesting. 
Yeah, I, I think it's like because you want to know what's going on in the world, you want to know what's gone on in the past, and you also, I think it's like knowing a sense of your identity as well. Like if it's something that relates to you, mm. it's like you want to watch it because it's like you get to know more about your ancestry or like more about who you are. Mm. So it's yeah, I think yeah, it's like good builds that. into social and cultural history, but, doesn't yeah. it? Well, as well, obviously this was about political history, yeah. and I think it's interesting as well because. Um, I remember when the Chilcot report came out, mm. which was basically all of the documents linked to this case and okay. linked to Britain and America going to war with Iraq. And the Chilcot report basically proved that it was an illegal justification for going to war. But then it's really interesting that, like, you know, we have the reality of what happened at the time and then we had the fallout and the reality of that in everyone's lives for yeah. however many years while the war was on. And then we've had the Chilcot report, which is like going into like the political detail around right. like, like yeah, questioning yeah. what happened there. And now they've decided to dramatise it, which I love because I think it makes it really accessible exactly, to yeah. people who don't necessarily know that much. Like I don't know much about Neither Iraq. I. Yeah, I, and now I want to watch it. Yeah. It reminds me of, I, I watched The Post, I think it was last year. Um, mm, that's got um, Meryl Streep in it. Yeah. Um, and it was so so good, and I was like, I love these kind of films. Like, we see more of these, so it's great that they've now done official what official secrets. Yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely gonna watch that. And so in entertainment this week, so Kim Kardashian's husband, <laughs> um, AKA Kanye, Kanye West. West. So he's basically written his first ever opera called Nebuchadnezzar. Wait, wait, is... wait, wait, wait. Sorry. You just said that so chill. Firstly, Kanye <laughs> West and opera, that is not in the same sentence. Right. Secondly, Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar. Right. Which is basically someone in the Bible, from what I'm aware of. Okay. But yeah, so basically it's going to be performed at the end of November in America. And he'll be using some of the um, singers from his Sunday service. Which, ha- which have been super popular. So, so popular. Kanye Sunday yeah. services. I haven't followed all of them, but, like, the ones that I've seen are so good. Mm, like, really beautiful, like, gospel ooh, music. Yeah, like, doing covers mm. of songs that are secular, but putting a Christian twist on it. So, like, the lyrics mm. are more actual, like, biblically related mm. um, and gospel. So it's really, I love what he's doing. Um, mm. And it's bringing in a lot of people come to Christ. Thousands of people come to Christ, which wow. is amazing to see. That is incredible. Um, it's weird because he's getting some criticism, also like positive as well. I in think the there's definitely there has but... been a, a bit of a Kanye fallout from mm. some of his like from original, the original yeah. followers because they've yeah, been like, okay, like now you've turned really religious. Yeah. What's going on? But it's like actually fair play to the guy like i think i'd say he's like a true creative in the Mm. sense that he's not just like pigeonholed into one genre he wants to explore all of his music potential Mm. and like god is the center of his life he is the person who is his savior and he's he's showcasing that and i think that's really cool and also like i know that um some people have said that um they think this new opera thing Mm. will be really good because it's going to help young people who listen to kanye music get engaged with opera which is like not a genre that anyone like our age and younger really know yeah i feel like i'd probably listen out to i would be very intrigued to hear what he's doing um but no yeah it's great i love that it's not just him as well he's got a whole team of people 
Um, he's got his, I guess, choir. I don't even call him a choir because it's like. Mm. Mm. And apparently, whenever they perform, you basically you can't really tell which one's Kanye because mm. all of them dress the same. That's so cool. it's like you just see this big group of people, mm. and, and all of them are dressed the same. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Because then it's like people are probably there for his talent, mm-hmm. but he is the one that's like orchestrating the whole thing. Yeah, so it's and like he's showcasing other talent. people's talent. Right. Yeah. Which I rate so much because mm. it shows that he's shown. It's not about him. Mm. It's about us. Mm-hmm. So it's great. It's great what he's doing. I like it. And uh, moving on to yet another one of the Kardashian extended clan. So uh, Caitlyn Jenner, the former Bruce Jenner, um, has just joined in the jungle. Have you been watching it? I was shocked. I was actually shocked to see her in the the cast. Really? Because I was like, are you shocked? Number one, an American. Number two, a Kardashian. I was like. What? <laughs> I was like, Caitlyn Jenner is part of I'm a Celebrity. Get but me out of here. Did you know that apparently um, Caitlyn said that when Caitlyn was Bruce, yeah. Bruce did the American version? Oh, so no this way. is her, well, here's her, Doing a comeback, second like... time in the jungle. But she was like, last time Bruce only came third, but this time it's Caitlyn. <laughs> she's like hoping to come first, obviously. It'll be interesting to see though. Apparently she's been doing really good. Like, Yeah, she has. The viewers love her. The British people love her so much. Well, I think she was always going to have like a great following anyway, just yeah. because she's such a big name and presence in the LGBTQ community. But I think what I was really surprised by, I've actually only watched the first episode, so I need to get on catch up. But she was so just like non-fate, like non-plussed mm. by anything. Like there was this moment when um, they were all sitting in this Jeep and they had to drive themselves to the camp. Yeah. And there was this like massive spider the size of like the palm of your hand. Stop. And it was so funny because one of the celebs noticed it and screams. And then like literally all of them like dominoes were like, <laughs> the whole way through and literally Caitlin just sat there like absolutely like calm faced and all of them jumped out the jeep and she was just like I'm so chilled whether you liked her before or not I think people will grow to like her in this because she's gonna show her boldness and her bravery also just while we're chatting about I'm a celeb do you want to tell us about um what Chris Peckham has been saying around the show Ah, so yeah, Chris Beckham's basically spoken about her animal abuse because they've been eating live bugs on the show. Um, so for those who don't know, Chris Peckham is basically like a kind of TV reality, but he's like a nature, mm. like he's always on Spring Watch, um, very keen, like natural conservationist. Mm. And yeah he's not been a fan of the fact that they've been eating live bugs. Which is interesting, because I've always wondered what vegans think about this, mm. because they basically, for their tasks, they're, they're like, prize food is always a meat-based meal. Yeah, like, leg of kangaroo. Literally, <laughs> literally something Yum. like that. And I'm like, oh, where, are, where are the vegans at? Like, I've never, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I've never seen, like, a Twitter reaction. There probably is, but, like, it's just not, like, popular mm. so you don't really hear about it but i'm just like what why what where are they like i'm surprised i legit thought about this the other day as well when i was watching oh, her, me? because their first night and it was like oh this lovely like kangaroo and something else and i'm veggie like i, I eat fish but i was, was like, like peasant would i had peasant yesterday and i was like you mean pheasant pheasant, pheasant sorry <laughs> yeah um 
Yeah, but I like literally was thinking as a veggie, like, would I, for the sake of survival mm. and for the show, would I eat the meat or would I not? Because obviously that doesn't, that goes against my beliefs. But then like, I'd literally have rice and beans for the whole time. I'll just waste away. I don't know. I genuinely, what? I don't think I would want to eat the meat, but I think it's like not necessarily a matter of sure want and more need. Surely it's part of like the contract where it's like, if you do not eat meat, potentially we would have to rethink yeah. whether you can come on the show or like maybe you get a slightly more like rations of beans or yeah, something I don't like know. You get extra lettuce. and equally like let's say i like a veggie was on the show and they didn't eat the meat mm. for dinner but then they get given a food challenge and it's like cool now you've got to eat kangaroo balls like eat it, yeah but do you know what i mean like it's, it's it's all eating meaty parts or maybe like as part of like the health you know how they have like the medical conditions or whatever and it's like you're exempt from this task like you don't have to do it yeah maybe the veggies so are... that is the answer maybe. basically whenever we're invited onto i'm a celebrity we just have to say we're vegan and therefore the can't do i'm gonna be like i don't even want to be in a the, the vicinity with a spider because i don't want to harm it because i'm vegan <laughs> i think we found a solution So our first news story this week is about Prince Andrew and his disastrous BBC Newsnight interview where he basically was trying to clear up the scandal of him having stayed at Epstein's house um, in New York Mm. after Epstein has been accused of being a paedophile or proved that he's a paedophile. And although it was meant to kind of clear his name I feel like it's just got him into more trouble because he basically just seemed absolutely remorseless right it was awful what do you think bless him because he did (laughs) honestly I think I think he went into it thinking you know I'm going to clear my name now Mm. and people have had so many questions about this issue Mm. and the fact I was friends with Epstein so now it's sad because I think what he thought would be a good thing actually ended up being a bad thing because it left people more questions than they had before Mm. which is kind of like "Mm." but it makes me just wonder by like the stuff he said whether he even wanted to do the interview in the first place because i know that the queen and prince charles and prince william were all pushing him and saying like you need to go to the press there's too much like controversy around your name yeah and i i wonder whether actually or what it looks like from this is that he actually doesn't feel sorry about this he doesn't regret his friendship with Epstein at all and so they've made him do this interview but actually he wasn't ready for it no like he actually didn't want to exactly so interesting because he actually there was no I think there was only one point in the interview as well where he mentioned the victims like he didn't actually acknowledge them and be like I'm sorry for what he did to you at least Mm. like I understand that he's saying he didn't do anything he can't he can't remember doing anything of such nature but yeah he made himself the victim rather yeah. than putting the focus on helping the, the victims. victims and right. i think what i was really um surprised by and watching how he reacted to questions it was just defense after defense like when he said you know about the, the pizza bit? express and the sweating yeah. and all this <laughs> I stuff had a and medical like, condition so i couldn't sweat at the time where which is I just <laughs> ridiculous 
<laughs> it made no sense. I think it was he picked out one bit of her testimony, like what she said mm. about it, mm. and kind of just went, actually, that can't be true because mm. of this. And I was mm. like, really? Like, that's your defense? Yeah. Because you're not helping yourself at all. I know. It'll be honestly. interesting to see if he actually does end up doing an interview with the FBI. Obviously, after he did this awful interview, um, the Newsnight interview, the royal press office um, put out a letter saying, mm. you know, I'm so sorry to all the victims and I'm going to participate and help out with the inquiry where I'm needed. Yeah. But, like, they might potentially want him to be interviewed but i don't actually know whether that would ever go through mm, it'll be interesting to see i think it will help him if mm. he does it'll clear his name potentially mm. but now because of the statement that came out he's given up his royal duties yeah stepped um, down from office so now he's no longer getting apparently the 250k that he gets from taxes from us so, he's <laughs> so that's kind of great right but yeah i think the whole thing just made him look quite arrogant and I don't know, quite like self-centered almost. Like he yeah. made this comment as well, which absolutely shocked me, where he said he like didn't tend to notice the women that worked around him because he was so used to being surrounded by royal staff mm. that he couldn't see the women. And it's like, that's not making a good point. Like, yes, you're not perving on women the whole time, but it's because you're so arrogant that you've got, you know, all of these people that are just waiting on you hand and foot. Yeah. And so you're like, you can't but possibly can't even, see anyone. I can acknowledge anyone else around me. Like, yeah, it's like, you haven't helped you. yourself there at all. It just made him look terrible. Mm. Like, What do you think um, this is going to have implications-wise for the monarchy? I don't think it will have negative implications on the whole royal family. Because it's literally just Andrew. Like, the Queen hasn't done anything wrong. Like, mm. she's she's actually encouraged him to step down from his royal duties. Yeah. So it's almost like they're doing everything they can to stop this from being a whole royal family issue, which mm. I think is good. But then we have the other issue of, like, people at this point kind of being like, actually, do we need a royal family? Exactly, it's and I feel as well British that... culture. Obviously, the Queen is an absolute national legend in all ways. Yeah. But when she passes, then it's Charles as king, and Charles has never been as popular, it, like I believe. Oh, yeah. And then after that, you've got William, who is definitely doing his duty, but because of everything that happened with Diana, both William and Harry seem less keen to have to fulfil the royal duty that they were born into. And Harry and Meghan especially don't want anything to do with yeah. it. So you kind of think, like if not even the royal family really want to be the royal family, then why do we have them? That's a good point. That's really a good point. And in other news, there's been a lot of election drama the last couple of weeks with the ITV debate between Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn. So because of the ITV debate, Boris Johnson has been criticised his vision has been said to be not really clear and not real. On the other hand, we've got Jeremy Corbyn, who has a clear vision for the nation, but then when it comes to Brexit, he doesn't have a clear strategy. So the reactions coming after the debate have kind of been mixed because of this. I don't know if you watched it, but like, mm. what do you feel was the most important thing that they should have discussed? Well, I think it's such a hard one, because I think 
with a general election, it is definitely important to talk about lots of different issues. And, you know, healthcare does matter to people. Mm-hmm. Education does matter to people. You know, people are thinking about what's going to happen, like with Scotland, are they going to have a second referendum? Mm-hmm. Like all of these questions do matter. But also Brexit still hasn't been done. And there's right. still so much contention around that. And so it's kind of an interesting situation where people have said this is, you know, a two horse race between mm-hmm. Conservatives and Labour. Which is interesting because I feel like people don't really trust them anymore. Not at all. Not at all. Jeremy Corbyn and obviously like the anti Semitism issue in the Labour Party, but then also the Conservative Party also failing to produce the Brexit they promised. Yeah. And he's just, and Boris Johnson is just full of like lies and he says what he, I mean, they both say what they want. To make sure that (laughs) they can kind of win votes. I mean, one thing I thought was quite ridiculous about Corbyn's campaign so far Mm. is I agree with some of the messages he says, but I mean, financially, what he's promising is just totally not viable. The amount of spending Mm -hmm. they're planning to do scares me. I'm like, how much money are you going to borrow? Or I guess he was saying that he's just investing. That's the only reason why that they're why they're borrowing. Yes, but it's like, where does that money come from? Because it either comes from taxes or like taxing businesses and companies, like Google. Yeah, and I'm like, "Mm." but that is risky in itself when we've got Brexit and when we're like a lot of companies are having to leave the UK and we don't want to then make those that are staying and are loyal financial pressure on those kind of companies when they actually need support yeah rather than and so if it's not from the companies then it's borrowing from like future generations and that in itself is potential for another recession like we don't need that Mm. like it's apparently an 83 billion pound spending budget that he's created. It's just so unrealistic. Yeah. Because I'm hearing that he is offering free broadband to everyone. Literally, like, and other crazy free promises. He's offering 26 billion pounds worth of investment initially into the NHS, but wow. by 2024, he's saying that he will spend six billion pounds more than Boris. Um, on the NHS. I don't know if that's something to be proud of. (laughs) (laughs) And he also wants to give all public sector workers, all 5.4 million of them, a 5% pay rise. And as you said, he wants to provide broadband for everyone. My question to him is, where are you getting this money from? Like, I'd love to have free broadband and more hospitals. Sounds amazing. And obviously for the NHS to not be privatised. But realistically how is that all gonna happen Mm. where are you getting this money from Mm. because i don't feel like he's been 100 percent clear about that which is quite frustrating yeah but it must be said on the other side boris johnson is just as bad maybe not so much in his financial promises but he is also saying what needs to be said in order to make himself sound okay Mm. for example he was questioned at the um the TV debate about what would happen with the SNP and obviously Nicola Sturgeon really wants Scotland to have another referendum and to become an independent country and basically he's been criticised massively because people say but at the end of the day if Nicola Sturgeon says she will back you and support you if you support a referendum he's going to do it 
So we can't believe him either. What's going to be particularly interesting is Andrew Neil's BBC one-on-one oh, yes. interviews. He's savage. Like, he is ooh. savage. So Corbyn's was this week. Yeah. And the most contentious point is that Andrew Neil would not stop going in on Corbyn about the anti-Semitism like, you know, issue in right. the Labour Party and saying, do you want to apologise? Do you feel shameful? And Corbyn would not apologise, yeah. which was not good. But it'll be interesting to see how other leaders fare under Neil's pressure, I yeah. think. I, I, I'm so confused as to why he didn't just apologise. I don't know if it was like a political stunt or genuinely a thing where it was like, actually, there's nothing I need to be sorry for. He was like beating around the bush with that, kind of just being like, you know, I'm against racism, racism is poison. But not actually... Not kind of admitting to anything, but I think the question that was at hand. I think the point you make though is kind of reminds me of the whole Prince Andrew issue, where it's almost like if he apologizes, that shows admittance of guilt, and, also and so perhaps well. yeah, so perhaps these leaders are almost saying, well, you know, it's not good what's going on, but I'm not going to associate myself with it because mm. then I'm going to be. But then there's no in like mess. You've received responsibility for your wrongdoing how do we move on from that i feel like with politicians and the royal family they are 100 percent trained to answer questions like that you answer a because question like, like with another question by diverting the, the point the way they divert from the questions just it's like, so cheeky answer the question which is so frustrating but yeah i don't think corbyn really did a good job with his interview but it'll be interesting to see how the other leaders do because andrew no will absolutely smash them yeah <laughs> he's just a savage so yeah I'm yeah for that. watch this space yeah and our final news story of this week is about the iranian protests that have been happening over the last two weeks The protests are in reaction to a massive hike in oil prices by about 50%. And this came just after the government had announced that they had spent two thirds below their target for like the annual budget of the year. So um, they're basically trying to just make money and make cuts wherever they possibly can. Um, And the interesting thing about this story is that there was a massive government um, shutdown of the internet um, during the protests to try and stop the spread of um, the images of violence and images of repression, but also to stop um, protesters being able to mobilise each other using social media. And it was also really interesting because um, the protesters were responding by um, giving out flowers to the police, saying that they weren't the enemies of the authorities um, and that actually the police should side with the people, not with the government who they believe are um, just a force for repression. Um, So, Muscana, what do you think about the methods of protesting and about generally the situation in Iran at the moment? I think it's it's really interesting because it's it's different to your average protest that you see going on across the world. Um, usually, it's just violence. There are peaceful protests as well, but this is like a new method of peace. So they're using flowers to to give to the police rather than like physically going against them and 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 showing um, that they're against what the government's doing. So it's 
yeah like it's it's so different to mm. what we're seeing and it's kind of refreshing in a mm. way um i know that iran have used this method before in the past as well mm-hmm. um i saw this thing on social media where there was these three women um i'm not even going to try and pronounce their names <laughs> i don't want to butcher it but there was these three women who basically they were promoting um women's rights so basically they were giving out flowers and trains um to promote an international women's day mm. to support women which is so beautiful the way they're just giving yeah, out flowers so but unfortunately they were arrested like together it was 55 years all together the sentences wow. because of what they did just so for giving like, out flowers yeah because the government and the police know what that means like, although it's a peaceful form of protesting it's still protesting it's a symbol of defiance right yeah. so it's like they understand even though it's a a positive thing i guess mm. it's also negative for the government so yeah they got arrested for that which is because they the government basically tried to say they were promoting prostitution because right. they the woman were actually promoting um basically the hijab laws to be changed mm-hmm. so that basically goes against their religion yeah. so it was so it's something that's challenging the government and what they're teaching yeah yeah and it's interesting as well because um as you said this isn't a new form of protest um and it was first used this kind of giving out flowers um back in 1979 when there was the massive Iranian revolution against um the last Iranian monarch and um although the the revolt back then and the protest now are totally different in terms of the scale of the protest i thought it was really interesting that they're using this same image or mm. same symbolism of peace um and i guess trying to, i guess cuz flowers are so beautiful they're so delicate yeah. um they're so sort of short lasting in their life um and i think it's i find it really poignant in terms of i guess just trying to show and challenge the power of the government in mm-hmm. terms of saying like look they are the big institution they right. are the people that have the, the power, power here yeah. and the control here um and we actually are just really delicate and like just listen to us and like hear our plea like feel our heart behind this yeah um yeah it's really touching it's the i i love it like honestly i feel I like that it's their own thing as well. It's mm. an Iranian form of protesting. It, like you won't find it anywhere else. Mm. Um so it's like yeah, I I like that just like you said now like a flower symbolizes a beautiful thing. Mm. It's not there's no like negativity around flower. Mm. I'm like there's a sense of like purity and like a growth yeah. and like a seed of something new yeah. that you see when you see a flower. So mm. yeah, I hope I hope there's change in their country because I know for hundreds and hundreds of years now there's been problems so yeah. yeah it is interesting as well to note I think that part of the issue with this protest um and the reason that um you know the the power of the government to shut down the internet and stuff they they really are in a situation politically in Iran at the moment where um a lot of the poorest people really don't have any sort of like kind of autonomy over their own situation mm-hmm. and um i think they were like a lot of people were saying that the scale of the protests would have been greater had the poorest areas of society not been 
so afraid of the repercussions of them revolting. So I think perhaps similar to what you were saying about Mm. the three women who protested, they already recognise their vulnerability in stepping out and speaking out um, and the fact that they're probably going to have some sort of backlash, whether it be jail or violence or whatever. Um, And actually the, the flower is just a small thing they can do that actually makes a really big statement yeah um, i don't know about that that the poorer people in society in iran didn't want to protest because the fear of like being imprisoned for it yeah even though it's a peaceful form of protesting but yeah they know the repercussions so yeah it was the wow. two the two reasons was that and then also the internet and mm. both like being shut down and both of those factors were what kind of contained the scale of the protests wow, okay. um, and kept the government in control this time which actually i think leads us quite nicely onto our big topic of this week um which we've decided to put around the idea of is social media a means for democracy so um as we were saying with the iranian protests um the whole of the internet was shut down for a number of days and that um basically hid the fact that protests had broken out in 107 cities and um it hid the fact that there was over 150 deaths in the Mm. four days that um this shutdown happened um and yeah we're basically looking specifically at um perhaps less advantaged areas of the world and how they use or don't use social media um to try and seek democracy or further um that as a name um yeah so explain a little bit more to us Ms. um so yeah with social media recently i feel that in countries especially third world countries they've been using social media for good rather than um in the way that we use it for self-gain and like for business and to talk to our friends and Mm. post pictures and whatever in third world countries a thing where they use it i feel more for democracy obviously they they use it for fun and friends as well but like in terms of if there's something that the government is doing that they don't agree with Mm. i feel that social media is their way of getting people to mobilize and get together people that they wouldn't be able to have connected with Mm. otherwise Mm. so social media gives them that space to be like hey i don't agree with this what do you feel Mm. and then they'll find out there's like hundreds and thousands of more people in their country who feel exactly the same way and it's Mm. like why don't we protest about this and next thing you know they've come together in person and now they're protesting against the government Mm. and the government understands that this is this is a way of like going against them if they don't agree yeah they're threatened by right right and there's also i know in other countries like social media is used um i know in eritrea for example they Mm -hmm. shut it down they shut down the internet Mm -hmm. it's like you have access to information you wouldn't have otherwise had access to yeah so like actually finding out that countries in the western world have so much democracy even though we might have questions about that Mm. (laughs) like so much more than they do and they don't know about that they're not educated about that it's not Mm. in their curriculum Mm. so when they find that out on social media like oh wow like these countries have human rights and they're allowed to speak out what they believe and have religious beliefs and have all of these different things that Mm. we can't because our government says that we're not allowed to Mm. so it's like social media gives them that information they wouldn't have otherwise been able to know about which is so good 
but like so I feel like because of that in terms of the other side of the world of like third world countries social media does kind of have a form like a way for countries to have democracy yeah it allows the people to find that yeah and it's interesting I think um what you're saying in terms of social media opening them up to this whole other world out there almost Mm -hmm. I think in the sense that whereas perhaps your print media or your digital media um you know the anything that you see on tv it can be censored Mm -hmm. it can be limited you know you're expecting that people are going to be able to buy and read Mm -hmm. papers or that they're going to have a tv set that they can watch news on and not everyone has that whereas a lot of people do have access to social media in some forms it's like it's probably is the most global platform um for any sort of kind of discussion and um, news sharing. Definitely. And I think the interesting thing is social media doesn't really have boundaries in the same way. So where you might be able to censor your national or your local newspaper, yeah. you can't censor social media because you can't exactly. You can't censor what people have access to search for and the discussions that they can read into um, and stuff. And I guess that's where it comes back to this whole issue that Iran's been um, having at the moment of the internet shutdowns because mm-hmm. essentially that is all the government can do now. They, they can't censor the types of or what people can see on social media. So they just there. have to shut down the whole thing yeah. and stop people, um, which I guess throws up another question for me really, which is, you know, can, is social media, yes, it might be showing them, what democracy is mm. um, in a in a more developed country, socially, politically, economically, whatever way it's developed. Um, but is that democratic? Is social media itself democratic when actually the government is just shutting it down and closing it off, and then they're still just trapped within mm. their censored society or the dictatorship or whatever it is? I feel like. <clears throat> I get what you're saying. I don't think social media is democratic, but I feel like it allows it allows people in other countries to have the potential of poten- of changing their country for the mm. better. So if they are under a government who is corrupt or who is a dictator, a dictator, for example, mm. um, social media allows them to make known what's going on in their countries to other countries that can actually go, whoa, we didn't know that. Yeah. And like the UN can actually get involved now because they know what's going on in that country. Mm. And also as well, um, yeah, like they can communicate what's going on. Mm. And that was the really powerful thing we saw on Twitter with right. um, the Iranian protests yeah. because um, a number of users found ways to get through the, the break in the internet. Mm. Um, and they were sort of, putting out this footage of what was happening with the protests or the violence they were kind of giving the numbers of the 158 mm. people who had died and they kept saying you know sort of hashtag help Iran or yeah. you know people out there you've got to listen and see and, and help do. us yeah yeah and that wouldn't be possible if the internet wasn't right. in place people we wouldn't know what was going on this reminds me of Sudan as well remember that whole situation mm. like I think it was a couple of months ago now yeah when um they basically didn't have they had a government the government stepped down and then they had a military government um and basically 
Sudan, there was there was just a lot of things going on, unnecessary killings that were going on. Um, and they were using social media to show what was going on in their country. Mm. And it was kind of like a cry for help. Mm. And next thing you know, the whole world has literally now got the blue um, profile pictures, mm. which I, I did myself because I was like, this, they need, we need to like fight for them mm. because they have no, like, this is the only way. Yeah. They're, they're, they're crying out for help. Let's do something about it. So like for literally all over the world, everyone got involved and put these blue profile pictures in support of Sudan and like for the UN to do something right for world leaders to step in and, and do something for the people mm. of Sudan mm. and by force like I think it was the African Union actually got involved and they sorted things out for the better so it just shows That's like really cool. there's a power that I think it's social media but it's also as well like people when we come together yeah and use platforms yeah we can make change yeah um, which was so amazing to see yeah because all you need is a few voices i think um like i mean i knew with sudan at the very beginning like literally into the new year of 2019 they had um i think it's one of the longest ever blackouts Mm. um in sort of history 68 days when no one had any access to the internet yeah but by people being able to break through that and still get kind of some sort of footage out there some sort of social media presence it helps people just be more aware and as you say I love I think the mobilizing power of social media it might not necessarily be a means for democracy but it's definitely a means for action and that's that's the biggest threat to governments that it's a place where people can you know arrange where they're going to protest and gather people together and and make people feel impassioned yeah but we can also see as you say how it's like it actually can become a really global universal movement right where it's like Just power such to a the beautiful people. thing yeah let's all get behind this and yeah. i think you see that you know politics aside you've seen that with um the climate protests people mm-hmm. like greta thunberg um and when she first did her school protests um where she didn't go to school and she was protesting for climate action um that went all over twitter and because she had it was no on twitter, intention of it even getting to that point as in like well, I, she wanted people to know about it but that one first day where she went and i think she stood out of the swedish government um, yeah the parliament and she just sat there with her her sign. Yeah. Like someone took a picture. It went on the internet. Boom. Yeah. Everyone's like, yes. And a bit like the flowers. Like, it's the kind of that image of such like innocence mm. and such sort of purity, but also like this potential for a voice that hasn't been heard but needs to be listened to. Yeah. Um, and that people really catching onto that and spreading it. And now I think I'd say like Twitter is one of the biggest platforms for the climate change message to be spread and for protests around climate change to be really broadcast and people to be mobilized through that. So it's, there is such power in yeah. social media and that You can sense. use it for good, clearly, with mm. just different different things that we, we want to be changed in the world. So mm. social media is a good thing, but yeah. We also know there's the negative sides of it as well that we as humans also mess up. So mm. it's just, I think, finding balance and, and using it in the right way for good rather than to bring people down. And yeah. Definitely. So use your social media wisely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. 
It's got to be said. It's got to yeah. be said. <laughs> but that probably um, brings us to the end of this week's big yeah. topic. We could go on talking, but we don't want to take up any of any more of your time. Um, so thank you for listening. Thank you. And we will see you in a week or so's time for the next podcast. See you soon. Bye.